I just have a really simple message for you today, and I just want to talk about the Lord's love. And I actually, the Lord reminds me to do this from time to time, just to remind us of the love of God, the love of Jesus. And I think that's what we needed. I really do, that this is what we need in this church today, and whoever's listening on the podcast, whenever you're listening, that it's what you need. I just want to read some verses to you and let the Holy Spirit preach His sermon. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says that God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Everybody say real love. We've preached this before. In these, in these years uh, that love is trying to be redefined, isn't it? They're trying to redefine love. You can't do anything or say anything anymore <laughs> without being accused of hate. And it's actually getting comical. Some of it was hard to decipher. But when we start debating the word manhole as we talked about on Tuesday. <laughs> That's for real. If you haven't heard that yet, I didn't even know about that. But on Tuesday, Casey just brought up that that's the new thing, that they're going to change the name to the word manhole. It's not fair that it's a manhole. They don't want it to be a woman. All they just want it to be a, uh, a maintenance, maintenance hole of some sort. Yes, it's getting weird. The love of God is consistent. It cannot be redefined. Love cannot be redefined. We're trying to redefine everything, but you cannot redefine. Love is simple. This is love. It literally gives us a definition in the Bible, I and mean, we can... We can read verse after verse after verse that points to the love of God, but it literally, our word literally gives us the definition. So there's no confusion because God knew one day they're going to have a problem. Even with my Bible, they're going to try to redefine it. So he just tells us this is real love. Everybody say, this is real love. Real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Everybody say, he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's what real love is. And I've said this before, and it's honestly a revelation that I've had to have, and we all have to have as believers. You can't love properly until you've had a true encounter with the love of Christ. You can't even understand love. You can think you're a good husband or a good wife or a good friend, a good father, mother, and all those things, and you think you're loving, but until the love of Christ has made its way into your heart, you can't understand it and you can't do it. You are not capable of loving. I had a friend when I was a teenager who was too heady for his own good. And he said, only God can love, we can't love, so therefore, I'm never going to try. He literally came to the conclusion, it's impossible for me to do, so I have no obligation to do it. He's not wrong in the sense that it's impossible in your humanity, in the natural man. Honestly, it's not just love that you're going to have a problem with in your life. It's everything. And sometimes as Christians, we can think, yeah, we know that. This is like the ABCs, right? The one, two, three of Christianity, right? Right here. Jesus Christ on the cross took away our sins. And sometimes we kind of like breeze over that so we can move on to deeper and greater truths, which 
the word tells us to do, but we can't then neglect the foundation, neglect really the thread that weaves it all together, which is the love of Jesus. It's so much greater than just an understanding in your mind. It's actually something that has to happen in your heart. And who has encountered that, right? Who has had that happen? Who heard it in your minds, right? You heard it in here. You heard it. You thought about it, right? Jean-Jacques' testimony is that he went to the services, right? Emily had already had an encounter with God, and he looked and thought, that's not for me. He was hearing it, his understanding, he was hearing the story, he understood it, right? And also being raised uh, through, even just through life, right? You have an understanding of what that meant. And then one day it clicked. One day he had a revelation. That's his testimony, right? That's like many of our testimonies. We heard it, it was in our minds, we understood it mentally, but it hadn't made it down into our hearts yet, I truly believe that the love of Jesus Christ is something that is like an ever, a never-ending, unwrapped gift for us. And I think the Word actually tells us that. You unwrap parts of it and, and know a part of it, but it's actually something that we need to keep unraveling your entire Christianity. I really believe, actually, that you will be incapable not only of loving, but incapable of doing anything until we have the love, an encounter with the love of Jesus Christ. It says, firstly, let me just talk about the love in Romans 8, and then I want to take you somewhere else. But in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, what shall we say about, about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Right? We know that verse. We love that verse. I pray that verse. Church, you should be praying that verse for yourself, for your family, for your loved ones, for those around you. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one and nothing can ever touch you. It says in verse 32, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? I love this verse so much, and I reference this so many times in sermons, not necessarily turning to the verse and preaching from it, but referencing this one line right here because his love is so great that it's literally the extent to God's love. It's if there was anything more, this doesn't say, won't he also give us everything else like there's many more things to get. (laughs) The understanding here is that it's in Christ. He didn't even spare his own son. What more can God give us than his own son? Do you think that things, do you think in eternity, ready? Let's just fast forward. Let's try. Our human minds are going to restrict us, but let's just try for a moment. Let's fast forward to two millennia, two million, two billion, two trillion years from now. Do you think that your mind and that time, having spent trillions upon trillions of years with Christ, is now going to be thinking and savoring and remembering the things that you had on the earth? Are you even going to remember things? The Bible tells us to be very careful what we do with our Christianity, like building a building. It's, you can build it with wood, hay, and stubble, which is just, you know, they're, they're technically building elements, but they wear out, right? They rot, they break down, they decompose, or we can build with gold, silver, and precious stones, the Bible says. 
in eternity, the only thing that you will remember from this earth (laughs) is your relationship with Jesus and the people that you touched on this earth through his love. You will not remember, we just went on vacation, and that was amazing. It's great to get away. We're on, uh, technically, right now, I'm still on this earth, and I need some breathing time humanly sometimes, and that was amazing to get some fresh Adirondack air. But I will not be talking about my Lake George trip two trillion years from now. But in eternity, I will still be talking about the person that I loved, that love because Jesus' love made his way into my heart and the things, all the stuff, the, the else, this really is, I don't, I don't even know if there's a translation that can translate this properly to say that there's nothing else. Nothing else matters. All that mattered was that he gave his own son for you. He gave his son for you. He gave his life for you, and when you get a revelation of what that means, the only thing you care about is loving him back and loving others as you love yourself, and that's the very two commandments that Jesus gave us. He said, that's all that you need to worry about. Why are you worried about other things? Why are you worried about anything else? It goes on to say, No one can accuse us, right? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? It says, no one for God himself has given us right standing with himself. And who will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Right, We read that verse right there, and then there's some verses down below that I'm going to get to. But there's a little chunk of Scripture here in between. And I truly believe, as believers, we need to get this. I honestly believe that when a Christian falls away... You know, I just read an article about a Christian that I really, really looked up to 20 years ago. Really looked up to. And... Not only is their life falling apart, but they said, I'm not a Christian anymore. Just like that. They influenced millions of people. At some point, this person forgot what Jesus did. It's that crucial that we constantly remember what he did. And it's no coincidence that the Lord led us to a communion Sunday and just to remember what he did and what he did for each other, and this constant reminder, this remembering of Jesus and his blood and his mercy and his grace for us. And it says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Uh, And then it says, does it mean? Everybody say, does it mean? This is what happens. Who lives in this world just like I do? Anybody else living here? Thank you for a couple of people living here. Some people aren't. (laughs) Sometimes I ask for a show of hands for things, you know, maybe it's not true, but I think everybody's living here. It says, nothing can ever separate us from his love, but it says, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? Everybody say trouble. Or calamity. Persecution. If we're hungry, if we're destitute, if we're in danger, or if we're threatened with death. It says, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Listen, Christian, at some point in your faith, and honestly, in these times we live in, it's more like every single day that your faith will be challenged, questioned, bombarded, to get you just to say, I f- just forget it, just walk away. The Lord's had this like a season of this. Keeps coming back to this. I just see such a bombardment. And I, 
said to the Lord, Lord, what is the answer? And he said, it's the love of Jesus. It's the love, the love of Jesus. That's the foundation. That's the whole core. And it sounds so elementary. It sounds so simple, like this Sunday school. But it is literally the glue that will hold you together. If you forget that, then what we do is we start looking at all the other things. We look at all of the other stuff. We look at this world and we say, oh, his love is absent because I'm going through this or I'm going through that. But it says, verse 37, no, despite all these things. Everybody say, despite. You know what despite means? <laughs> it means here's a category of stuff and we're just going to push that off the cliff. It's irrelevant. It existed, but it's irrelevant because of his love. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So there is a victory even though it says you are going through things. Even though you are facing things, you are not separate and you have victory. And it says, and I am convinced that nothing, everybody say, nothing. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Everybody say it again. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Who loves those verses? Isn't that amazing? We must be aware of His love at all times. That's the point to this passage We must be aware that He still loves you no matter what. And it's so much greater than a pity party. It's so much greater, well, thank God He loves me. No, there is a revelation of love that you must have. It's not, oh, well, got away with that because He loves me. Thank you. Oh, I've been busy, but He loves me. It's a revelation down deep inside of us that he's talking about here. It says in Ephesians something similar. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. How are we doing, church? We doing okay? It says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So let me just pause here. When we read through these verses, 
We read through these like, yeah, I know this, right? Who has read Ephesians probably a hundred times? Anybody else in here, <laughs> right? It's an easy book to read and it's only six chapters. And whenever you feel down, you go and you read Ephesians, right? One of those books, it's like I can power through that book and it'll make me have life again. But at the same time, we've just been doing a Bible study and, the, and uh, he cautions in this study to not just read verses like you know them, but to stop and drop to your knees, to remember, to just pause and remember the greatness. When we read verses like, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood. Do you realize how powerful this is? He purchased your freedom with his blood. I know I've preached this, I know I've brought up this, this particular part before, but who is willing right now will go out in the parking lot to lay down your life for someone else in this room? Is anybody willing to give your blood for even one person in this room right now? We all raise our hands until I pull out the knife. And it becomes real. Gave his blood for us. See, we need to actually have a revelation of this. It needs to get down so deep inside of us because it changes us. And as soon as we start getting lax and apathetic and we start getting drawn away by the things of this world, we start getting uh, worried about things going on in this world, we start getting a little frustrated and flustered, or we just start saying, oh, that's, you know, I don't need I don't need all this, and, and in any way, shape, or form of withdrawing from God, we have forgotten the price that was paid for us and forgot what Jesus asked of us because of the price he paid for us. It says, continuing on in verse 8, that he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding and God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And it says in verse 10, and this is the plan. Everybody say, at the right time. At just the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us in advance, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. We realize that, I, I mean, some, I have to tell myself, I tell myself this like a broken record. This world doesn't matter. The only things that, that matter is, is my relationship with Christ first and letting Christ out of me because it's not about me, but that he loves me and thank you, Lord, for that, but he also saved me for a purpose on this earth. Otherwise, just kill me now and take me to heaven. Some of us wish that. Who has wished that? We all have. Come on, let's just be honest. I don't need this world anymore. I'll just, let's just go to heaven because there's no more tears. There's no pain. There's no suffering. Why would we go through all of that if it wasn't for such a grand purpose? I didn't plan on saying this, but I, it's the Holy Spirit. If you're not suffering... You should question your place in the kingdom because Jesus promised it over and over and over and over again. Now, does that mean that you should be bringing self-suffering on? You don't need to bring it on because it will come on your own. Don't try to bring it on. I always thank the Lord. I just thank God in good times. Because I know that I'm on my way up to a mountaintop or I'm on my way down. But I haven't hit a, I'm not in a valley right now. And I just thank the Lord when I'm in those places. But as I get towards the valley, 
I'm in the valley, coming out of the valley. We have to know, come on, there's something that has to get inside of us. Devil's going to try to do two things. He's going to try to keep you on the mountaintop. You know what happens on the mountain? Remember what happened on the mountain with Moses? What happened with Mount, with the, on the mountain with Moses? The glory of God came down. The law of God, right? The law of God came down, right? The law is written on our hearts. So it's a, there's a place, it's an encounter with God. There's a place with God where God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's heart has an encounter with your heart. And that's an amazing place. The Bible says that the glory shone off of his face. But you know what God said to Moses? It's time for you to take what I've given you and go back down to the people. The devil's going to try to do two things to Christians. He's going to try to keep you up there because it's fun being up there. Right? There's no pain. There's no suffering. And honestly, don't rush those times. I don't rush for suffering when God has given us a glory time with him. Don't rush for it because just know that it's coming. But it's coming for his glory. You're not suffering for no reason. Come on, there's not stuff going on around you for no reason. There is a person that God is trying to get you to. We need to know that. And honestly, you will never think about anyone else until you have had the revelation of his love. If all you're thinking about is, oh, Jesus, oh, how he loves me. And, oh, Jesus loves me, this I know. And then you're like, thank you. Now, okay, now I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to have anything to do with anybody. And I just want to hang here. You should question that every single time because that's not the love of Jesus Christ. When the love of God gets a hold of you, all you want to do is give it. And you can't help but give it. That's what I started to say earlier. You will be the husband and be the wife and be the father and be the mother and be the friend, etc., that you were called to be then. Automatically, because it's already, it's in you. But if you have to strive for it and struggle for it, then you need to go back and have an encounter with his love and really understand. Maybe you don't understand the cost yet that was paid for you. Maybe you don't realize that Jesus came in and says that he rescued you. Come on. He rescued you. What did he rescue you from? He didn't just rescue you from living a life that is mediocre. Come on. Don't listen to that lie from the devil. He didn't rescue you from living a subpar, middle-income life. That's ridiculous. He rescued you from the grip of hell from death, from separation from him for eternity. And we need to be reminded constantly that that's what he rescued us from. He rescued you from this earth. And then the Bible says, I'm going to send you back down to earth. Remember, Jesus dies, and then he comes back with the commission. Jesus didn't commission the disciples till he came back from death. So you go into death, you leave yourself, you leave your flesh, you have an encounter with the love of God, you die, and then you come back a changed person, a new person, and you have a message in your mouth, which is the love of Jesus Christ. And then when I influence this person properly, they actually want to give the very same thing that I've given them, which is the love to someone else. Are we getting anything out of his message today? It says, verse 15, I love, I love. Who loves the Ephesians prayer? Everybody love this prayer? In Ephesians 1, verse 15, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. They already had a love. Now, this is what I want to get us to. Come on, church. I'm not in here telling you you don't love. I'm not telling you you don't know the love of Jesus and that you don't have love and you don't love people. Everybody, 
in agreement that that's what I'm not saying, right? I'm saying that you are in here because you love Jesus. You want to be here. You came in by choice. You understand it. But we need to keep, everybody say, I need to keep understanding it. Come on, Christians. We've seen enough Christians get off track. Who has seen Christians in your life get off track? And just walk away because they forgot what Jesus, they forgot the price that God, God literally sent his son, okay? Do you realize that he could have just abandoned us and it wouldn't have mattered to him? I mean, he would stay God. It matters to him. Come on, you matter to him. His creation matters, but he wouldn't have been no longer God without you. Do you know that God could have just as easily made a brand new earth with new people? But he, lay, he laid down his very life. We need to have a revelation of his love. So he says, I heard. Everybody say, I heard. I heard. So he said, I heard about your faith and your love for God's people everywhere. But I began to pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow. Everybody say grow in your knowledge of God. This doesn't mean knowledge about God. This means to, I pray that you would start to know God greater. I heard about it, but there needs to be an increase. If that love does not keep increasing, come on, I've preached this before. We know this, right? But a spouse that says, your love is enough, you don't need to love me anymore. You've loved me so far. That was great. I'm content. You don't need to love me greater tomorrow. Any spouses say that to your, other, to your spouse. Anybody say, you don't need to love me greater. You don't need to love me more. Come on, we want more. We want to keep increasing. We don't want to know about. We want to know each other. Everybody say, I want to know him. When we begin to know him, come on, there needs to be a knowing. This, I'm telling you, I'm warning us as believers, it's so subtle. I was just telling my kids on the way home uh, yesterday, the devil's trick is subtlety. The Bible literally tells us that. I don't need to actually assume. I don't need to read between the lines. It literally says that the serpent was more subtle than the other creatures. He was subtle. Come on, it's the subtlety. It's the drawing away. And it can happen on all spectrums, right? Like I said, mountaintops and valleys. In one way or another, just to get you self focused, get you drawn away from the greater purpose, from the big purpose, that it is our hearts united with Christ in death and in resurrection and in glory and in speech and in exploits. Come on, amen. So he said, I pray, verse 19, actually let me finish, verse 18, to understand the confident hope. It says, uh, let me start let me go back. I want to read verse 18 from the beginning. I pray that your hearts, everybody say, my heart, would be flooded. It says, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light, right? The light of Jesus Christ, the illumination of Jesus Christ, right? It's a light to us. He was the light to the world, and then he commissions us that you are the light to the world. That means his light came inside you, and you became him, you became a reflection. Come on, you are a reflection of Jesus. But in order for you to be a reflection of him, you need that light inside you to shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Do you know, this is amazing. I love when science lines up with the word, don't you? And stuff that we didn't even know. Stuff you didn't even know about. We got a thing from the town that says, you know, and Jean-Jacques said that this is at everybody's well across everywhere has it, some sort of bacteria in it. It's what it is. You have animals and you have neighbors and so things are, you have bacterias in your well, just so you know. And they're in your town drinking water too. They just chlorinate it. But today you can actually get a system that is UV light. It takes UV light and it shines on the water as it's passing through, and nothing 
Come on, no bacteria survive. Nothing survives. Isn't it amazing that even just in science, just in this natural world, everything points back to God, everything. In the light of God, there is no bacteria, there is no, come on, who wants bacteria? Anybody want bacteria in your water? Fecal bacteria, let's make it real. Anybody want that? Here's a glass of, here, I'm going to offer you a glass of purified water and a glass of fecal matter water. It's clear, you cannot tell the difference by looking at it. You can't tell the difference by looking at the glass to glass. The light of God, come on, the light of Jesus inside of us, it needs to become so deep. We need to be so, if you have any of you left, I promise you, it's only a matter of time. The devil's playing a game of chess and he's patient because he lives, even though he has a time and he will be judged and he will be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever and so will his fallen angels with him. We know that. But in this time that we live, he lives outside of time and he has your whole life to try to get you. If you try to hold on to any self, it's only a matter of time. If you don't let his light work inside your heart and you just let him deal with it, you just keep giving him. It seems so subtle to say, well, this is my desire. It's what I want to do with my life. No big deal. It's not evil. It's not corrupt. It's not demonic. It's, it's, it's just what I want to do in my life. And it's so subtle to even have any will at all in you because if, if you have any will left inside you, any will left inside you, the devil will come in and try to corrupt it and taint it. And who has seen him do it? Who's had the Lord have to tear it? He, the Lord just tears it all down and destroys it because that was our will. I just heard a story about a man. He just said, the last six years I did my own thing. And he was out serving the Lord. He was serving the Lord and he didn't do anything evil, didn't get into any mess, no financial, no affairs. I mean, nothing, none of those things where he's like, I got to come back and repent. I just, he just came to the revelation that he'd been doing things in his own strength and a little bit for himself and came back and just wanted to get back to simplicity with God and just do things his way again. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with the light so that you can understand. Listen, you can't even understand the hope he has given us until his light has flooded your heart, until something has happened inside you, and it needs to keep happening. We grow cold so quickly. Who is like me and grows cold quickly? If you have forced air heat, we got a lot of, lot of, uh, <laughs> I'm using a lot of examples today. A forced air heating system, all my examples today. Have a forced air heating system. The moment it goes off, it grows cold. Who has forced air? Anybody? Second it turns off, right? So what my sister Kelly does is just keeps it at 72 all the time, 24-7. Should never grow cold. <laughs> and Steve says, thank you. I'll go get a second job now. <laughs> we grow cold quickly. The second it gets turned off, we grow cold. We need to be so diligent. We need, his love doesn't leave you. Do you understand? This is why I read that first. His love never leaves you, ever. His love was there for you before you said yes. Do you hear that? When we read it in the verses, before the foundations of the earth, his love was already there for you. It's not a question of his love. It's a question of Letting it into us. Letting it have us. Letting Jesus fully have us. Why would he pray this prayer if it was automatic? Why would he pray? He prayed that it would continue, that it would increase an understanding, a wisdom, so that we can understand his rich and glorious inheritance. Verse 19 I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. It's the same power, that the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand 
in heavenly places. And for time, I just want to go straight to Ephesians 3, verse 12. We have a second prayer, but it's about this love. It says, verse 12, Ephesians chapter 3, because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Now remember, he is praying this prayer for the Ephesian church. Who knows the Ephesian church that he's writing to were Christians. This group of people that he was writing to were Christians because he already said that I heard about your faith and your love for people. I heard about it. I was impressed, but I, I knew I needed to start praying for you so that it would keep growing and keep increasing. And he tells them, don't lose heart. He's like, I'm, I'm. he was being uh, uh, persecuted at the time and told them, don't lose heart. It's all for the plan. It's all for the purpose. Whatever we're going through, it's we need to understand that it's something greater. It's something bigger. I fell in love with Jesus. Don't worry about me. I don't care about me. Don't feel bad for me. I don't care that I'm suffering. And I'm going to give you, what we're seeing in this picture is he's praying the prayer that he wants for them, but he's also showing them the other side. What has already happened in him. He's only giving of what has been done inside of him. You can only say these things and pray this prayer the way that he does with so much power that 2,000 years later, right, we still pray these prayers and there's still power in it because it was birthed out of a person who had lost it all and didn't care, who had no uh, thing in this world to gain, who was completely abandoned, completely selfless. And so he says, I pray... That he, verse 16, 17 as we read, in verse 18, it says, And you may know the power. You may have the power to understand. It says, as all God's people should. Everybody say, as all God's people should. He said, I pray. Come on, we, we have to understand here that he literally prayed something for us that we need to keep praying, prayed it for them, we need to pray it for ourselves, then we need to pray it for each other, that we would have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, right? Who knows these verses? And how deep His love is. It says, may you experience, everybody say experience. You have to experience it. If you don't experience, it's not, you have to get outside your mind and receive him, right? Without the mind. But everybody can tell you who has experienced him that I finally fully believe because something began to happen inside my heart that bypassed me. We need to have an experience with Jesus. And I think as soon as we think we don't need to have an experience with him is when that's the moment. That is the moment. That's the moment where we stopped having an experience with Jesus, keep experiencing him, keep hanging with him. Well, not just hang with my homeboy, right? Like I've said before, so the world thinks it's like, like this super casual thing. But I mean, hang with him like the disciples did. I'm not gonna leave you. Where else will we go, Peter said. Where else are we going to go? We've given up everything to follow you, he said. And Jesus promised them, don't worry that you've given up everything because I'm going to give you back more than you could ever imagine. But nonetheless, Peter told him, we gave up everything. And Jesus doesn't say he didn't, which means he did. And that's the cost. That's what it was. 
but he fell in love with Jesus, right? He was still, I love bringing up Peter, and I bring him up often because I think he's such a picture of the Christian in the, in the process, dealing with themselves, and then he dealt with it, and then Jesus says, do you love me? And he was commissioned when he found the love of God, when the love of Jesus, when he said, I love you three times, right? The three times he says, I love you, when that love hit his heart when he knew, when there was a knowing, when there was an experience that, that bypassed him and it wasn't just that he saw things happening. Come on. It wasn't just that he saw miracles happening and things happening, but something happened inside his heart. Judas saw things happening. Judas saw miracles, didn't he? But he didn't allow the love of Jesus to enter into his heart. It says... May you experience, verse 19, and I'll close here. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. You can understand it in your mind. And honestly, I get up here to preach it. All I can do is say the verses and describe it as best I can. But you can't understand even my human words. It's something deeper and greater inside of you that has to happen, and you have to let him do it. Who has been closed off to God in an area you didn't even know it and you just said, Lord, I abandoned and actually saw the Lord come in deeper? Come on, who's experienced that before? We can't think we're finished works. We are in Christ. This is the thing. Don't use your mind. In Christ, seated in heaven, you are finished. But the, the earthly person that's still living in time is still getting rid of stuff every single day, isn't it? Right? Is anybody completely perfect in their humanity in here. Now, in the Spirit, in, in God's eyes, looking at you through the blood of Christ, you are. But your flesh is still getting rid of stuff, right? We're still angry. We still murmur. We still complain. We still get distracted. We still get into pride. We get into all of these things, and we must just keep shedding these things off and keep letting it happen, letting that love, because as soon as we say, you know what, I'm just going to hang, I like pride, I'm going to hang here, and some people, they like fear, fear gives them comfort, people, listen, there's a whole genre of fear films for a reason, don't tell me that it's not true, that people don't like fear, people love fear, there's a whole genre of sad songs, in fact, every single genre of music has a subgenre of sad stuff, because people like that. So when Jesus is telling us to live in his love versus worry and fear and in pride, your humanity wants to just hang in those places. It naturally does. It's a fallen state, your humanity. It's a fallen being. But in Christ, we come to this place where it's no longer us, and it says that this love is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete. Everybody say, then. You know what the word then means? It means once this happens, then. <laughs> once that happens, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want the fullness of life and power that comes from God? And it says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish. Come on, he's doing it. It's completely him. He's still doing it. I started to try to figure this out. It says, at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I tried to come up with an analogy. I don't know that it's a great, I know, oh, let me it's not a great analogy, but it's something that I was just thinking. I'm a father, and I have a son, right? I have three sons. So I give my son survival. Okay, here's the world. You need to survive. And just, just for simplicity, I don't, I'm not going to go through all the tools. I just, I'm going to talk about one thing. I give him a knife. Now, that knife can be used for so many things, right? It can be used for protection, right? It can be used to, to cook and to hunt and, and to fend for himself, to make shelter, et cetera, right? Every survival, if you ever watch the survival show, the knife is like, that's like the most important, one of the most important things in that pack. You can do a lot of things. You can do without light. You can do without fire sometimes, right? Do without water if you can find it, but without a knife, you're kind of stuck a lot of the time. So 
I give it to them. It's completely free. It's fully meat. It doesn't cost them anything. Here's the knife. You don't have to do anything. You, don't, you can't earn it. No matter what you do, no matter how you do out there in the wild, you can't ever do anything to say, I'm paying you back for this. This is yours. It's a free gift. It's fully yours. It's yours. Take it. Now he takes it, puts it in his back pocket, comes up to a predator. The predator devours him. Knife stays in his pocket. He dies. Can he blame it on God? He's out. It's raining. <laughs> it's raining. It's pouring out. And there's vines and branches and leaves and the knife's in his back pocket. And he says, and he dies of hypothermia. And he says, God, you did that to me. I know it's a really poor example. It's Because how do you describe it? How do you possibly describe that God's given us everything we need, that if when we have an encounter with his love, that, that it's everything you need and all we have to do is use it. We just have to, we have to let it out of us. We have to activate it. We have to understand, if we understand it and just say, okay, he's given me his love, but as soon as we retreat and we just say, I don't feel like doing it, or then I can take the knife and I can kill someone with it. See the whole other side of it. I can take that same thing that he's given me, given me everything I needed, and I can now do what I want with it. And it's not God. We're not blaming him. But I think as soon as that thing gets laid down, as soon as we start laying down what God has done for us, what he's given us, the price he paid, he gave us such an amazing gift. And if we don't understand it, it's somewhere down deep inside of us. And then we're never going to use it properly until we understand what it is. So we need to have a revelation of it. Otherwise, we'll start using it how we want or we won't use it at all. And either way, we die. And I don't want us to die. We have life in us. Come on, Jesus paid a price for us. There's so much life in us. There's so much life in us, believers. There's so much life in the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. We thank you, Lord God Almighty. Lord, you're so good to us. You're so kind. You're so merciful. Your grace is so big, Lord God. And you've done so much for us. I pray, Lord, in simplicity. Lord, as Paul prayed, Lord, I pray for us that we would have a revelation of your love. That we would have that revelation, Lord Jesus, of who you are of what you've done for us, Lord, of who we are in you, and Lord, of what you want to do through us on this earth, Lord Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. Amen.